Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us. Sooner or later, we have to ask ourselves, what do others see when they look at me, when they hear my words? What presence or power shows through when I know it not? That's the Reverend Dr. Michael Brown, and today he shares an inspiring message of faith called To See Ourselves as Others See Us. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. I'm your guest host, Dalton Rushing, and today on day one, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Dr. Michael B. Brown, a United Methodist minister, seminary teacher, author of five books, and a popular motivational speaker. Michael's a graduate of High Point University in North Carolina, earned his MDiv from Duke University Divinity School, his Doctor of Ministry from Drew University Theological School, and a Doctor of Humane Letters from Pfeiffer University. He served as senior pastor of several churches, including Boone United Methodist Church in Boone, North Carolina, Central United Methodist in Asheville, and Centenary United Methodist in Winston-Salem. He then served 10 years as senior minister of the Marble Collegiate Church in New York City before his retirement. He currently serves as interim senior pastor at Mount Tabor United Methodist Church in Winston-Salem, teaches preaching at Wake Forest Divinity School, and is a trustee of High Point University. Michael, welcome to day one. Thank you. It is great to be with you. Michael, you've actually preached on this program many times over the past decades, going back to when it was called the Protestant Hour, and we're so honored to have you back. You officially retired from Marble Collegiate Church a few years ago, but you certainly are keeping busy with a variety of other ministries. You're serving as Interim Senior Minister at Mount Tabor United Methodist Church in Winston-Salem, but you also serve as the pastor of a unique summers-only Methodist Church in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Could you tell us about that church? Blowing Rock is a beautiful Courier and Ives type community Mm -hmm. in in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And the church historically has been served by United Methodist pastors uh, and bishops, Ernest Fitzgerald, Tom Mm -hmm. Stockton, and others uh, who have retired. Uh, It exists four months a year, one day a week Mm -hmm. for worship, for uh, people with vacation homes and tourists, uh, and exists literally to give itself away. Hmm. Uh, it gathers money to distribute uh, to people in need, uh, to causes that that are hands-on, delivering the goods to people. It's really a wonderful uh, worship center mission station hmm. uh, filled with lovely, lovely people. You were at Marble Collegiate for 10 years as its senior minister, and that's such a unique church in Midtown Manhattan, the oldest Protestant church in North America. It's always been well-known for its preaching with former pastors, including Norman Vincent Peale and Arthur Caliandro, and you certainly filled the pulpit well yourself. Give us an idea of what it was like to serve there. You know, I I didn't know going in what to expect Mm. because I was moving from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, a lovely city, Mm. but into the middle of Manhattan, which (laughs) is its own little world unlike anything else. Um, But what I found was that Southern hospitality extended a lot further north than I ever imagined. 
the people there were gracious, charming, welcoming. Um, worship there took on many different forms. Mm. It was a, a multicultural church, a very inclusive congregation. And it was the sort of place where even on your worst day, and there were many of those, mm. great church, but even on your worst day, when you step out of the door, you're in New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're on vacation. You know, you become a, an immediate tourist. The energy of the city was great. The mm-hmm. commitment of the people, and and you know how it is when you move from one church to another. Sure, whatever community it's in, whatever its size or, or demographic, it's still church. Mm-hmm. You you lead worship. You officiate at funerals and weddings. You baptize mm-hmm. children. You go to to committee meetings. So the text was similar. The context was dramatically different from Mm. anything I'd had prior. Michael, you've also been active in academic life. You taught congregational change at Wake Forest Divinity School and New Testament at High Point University, your alma mater, and on whose board you now serve. Introduce us to High Point University. What is it that has drawn you to study, teach, and serve there? I think I studied there um, when I was an undergraduate, and of course that was shortly after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied there, I think, because it was in the backyard of the, of the town where I grew up. Mm-hmm. It was 18 miles. It was convenient. It was a Methodist college, and I was had felt called to be a United Methodist minister. It just made sense. Um, it's a whole different place now. It's mm-hmm. expanded dramatically. Uh, all sorts of graduate programs, uh, law school, dental school, all all sorts of things, uh, national and global representation of students. It is um, student-friendly, and it, it emphasizes sort of the entrepreneurial uh, side of, of young students. Hmm. The, the academics there is strong, um, but... It also seeks to prepare them for more than just uh, more than just being intellectually equipped, mm. but to be able to go out into the world and actually do something with it. Mm. And to me, that's that's kind of exciting. Mm. Now, my relationship there when teaching was all all undergraduates mm. and um, teaching 18, 19 year old freshmen and sophomores, <laughs> many of whom are in class because it's required mm. rather than desired. Is a whole different thing than teaching uh, in a seminary where people are specifically preparing for a work, a particular work, and they want to be in that class to equip themselves. Mm-hmm. And each world is kind of fun for me. <laughs> Obviously, preaching is at the heart of your own ministry. How would you describe the state of preaching today, and how will it evolve in the future? I think the state of preaching is strong. I listen mm. to people on day one, and I don't hear anyone that shouldn't be here. Mm. <laughs> you hear really good, strong voices. I know that you're a very effective preacher, and uh, you have followed a, a string of very effective mm. preachers at the church where you are now. Uh, I teach students who are preparing to to become preachers. That's why they come to my classes. And I hear a lot of quality, but what inspires me more is that I I witness a lot of enthusiasm and hunger to become good preachers. Mm. So as long as that's there, I feel encouraged and confident. The future of preaching obviously is shifting in a direction that throughout 
most of my career I didn't worry about or even know about. Hmm. And that has to do with having a congregation where you are hired or assigned, but also a virtual congregation, Mm. an online. So every pastor now is serving two churches. Mm -hmm. And that's an intriguing challenge, I think, when you realize um, many folks have more people, more congregants online Mm. than they have in the building. And you have the questions then, okay, how do I do sacramental ministry to them? Mm -hmm. How do I do stewardship? Uh, how do I get them involved in local mission and ministry? What happens when a family in my church and they're online, one of their children wants to get married and mm-hmm. they want their pastor to do it, but their <laughs> pastor's in New York and, mm-hmm. and their home is in Missouri. <laughs> so I think the future of preaching, and, and there's, as you know, there's that preaching is really a conversation mm-hmm. between the pulpit and the pew. So there has to be that connection, and that's so much easier to make when you're looking eye to eye with folks listening than when you're looking into a camera. Mm -hmm. Um, How do I connect with people I don't see and don't know and whose stories I don't know? Mm -hmm. So there are some interesting challenges for future preachers. Michael, you've written several books, including Bottom Line Beliefs, Making the Timeless Word Timely, and A Five-Mile Walk. And your most recent is titled Love is the Way, Ten Steps to Discovering Personal Happiness. What do you hope readers will gain from that book? Well, that's actually not the most recent. It's mm. uh, I've done one since then called A Long-Ago Birth in a Right-Now World, uh, looking at the way the Gospels relate the birth story, in, even including Mark. Who doesn't? Hmm. Uh, But the one you ask about was done really for a a PBS special, Hmm. and it gives 10 different examples, chapter by chapter, of how to build our lives upon a platform of active, disciplined loving, uh, which is very difficult. Biblically, when we read the command to love, uh, Jesus offers that in a setting where he is about to be betrayed and where he serves the Seder meal to the one he knows is going to betray him. He talks about things like loving your enemy, turning the other cheek. Um, So the book is not an easy, sweet, sentimental, syrupy, Hallmark movie sort of Mm. thing. It's the tough reality of loving. But the only reality for us in our age that's sane, and I think the only one that can ultimately save us from all those other forces that currently are are dragging us to a place that we don't want to wind up. Hmm. This Sunday, the church celebrates the transfiguration of Jesus, and your sermon focuses on the account of this astonishing event from Mark chapter 9. Would you read it for us? Sure. Mark chapter 9 verses 2 to 9. This is from the New International Version. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. 
listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Mark, as usual, gives us a terse account of this incredible occasion. I'm curious, what stood out for you as you prepared your sermon? What stood out for me was trying to transport this passage from that age to our age. Hmm. In teaching, I often tell students there's classical theology, biblical theology, but at some point it always has to connect with practical theology. Hmm. You know, like in a sermon, there comes that so what moment. <laughs> what does this have to do with me in my life? And that was the question. So what does this have to do with me in my life? What does transfiguration mean in the life, not just of Jesus, but a follower of Jesus? Mm. How is it that we become something that the world can see? Like Peter, James, and John saw him in a different way. Mm. They could see that power and presence visibly. So does that happen to us mm. as churches, as individuals? Michael, we look forward to hearing your message on this text. It's called, To See Ourselves as Others See Us. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you for allowing me to be here. If you'd like to listen again to today's program with Michael Brown with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110. Would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us? Robert Burns wrote that in his poem To a Louse. It's an amusing poem, on the surface at least, about a woman all finely attired, sitting in church with her fashionable clothes and air of self-importance, unaware that those sitting behind her spot lice crawling along the edge of her bonnet. On another level, just beneath the surface, however, it's, it's not so much amusing as alarming, because it reminds us of how unself-aware we can sometimes be. Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us? Sadly, that is too infrequently the case. Sometimes we fail to see the humorous, even laughable parts of our lives, We don't see the louse crawling on our bonnet. Who doesn't love the TV commercial featuring Charles Barkley trying to coach people about how to swing a golf club while he himself makes every conceivable motion incorrectly? He's in on the joke, of course, but the commercial is staged as if he thinks he knows what he's doing, but in fact is the only person there who fails to see that he doesn't know how to swing a golf club at all. Years ago, I officiated at a memorial service for a person I'd never met. A local funeral chapel called and asked if I would lead a service before a a handful of people, none of whom I knew. One of the people attending requested that we start by singing Amazing Grace. 
Well, there was no organist to accompany, no choir director to lead. So that lady said to me, You're a minister. You know the hymn. You lead us. My wife often tells me, You really need to learn to say no sometimes. That was certainly one of those times. But I plunged ahead, trying to lead a dozen or so people in singing, which, as it turned out, apparently none of them really wanted to do. We sang a couple verses, mine being pretty much the only voice anyone heard, especially since I was standing behind the microphone at the pulpit. Following the service, the funeral director, a friend of mine, summed up my vocal talents in just eight words. He said, Talk about driving a nail in the coffin. (laughs) Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously, and that's always to our detriment, failing to see the humorous parts of our own lives. And if we cannot laugh at ourselves from time to time, our lives become shallow and painful. Other times, however, we fail to see the tragic aspects of our lives. I knew a man who was a textbook workaholic. He spent 10 hours a day, five days a week on the job, and often went back in on weekends. He rarely spent quality time with his wife or kids, almost never seeing his children's ballet recitals or Little League ball games. The man said to me, following his divorce, I never realized how much time I was absent from them until they decided to be permanently absent from me. Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us. The Gospel of Mark tells the story of Jesus with his friends, Peter, James, and John, going on something of a spiritual retreat. Tradition says at the top of a place called Mount Tabor. There they spent time in prayer and meditation. Though the disciples were not fully aware, Jesus knew that they would soon make their final journey into Jerusalem. And he also knew what was awaiting him once they got there. In fact, just a little further in this same chapter from Mark, Jesus states it clearly. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of evil men. They will kill him. And after three days he will rise. So, facing that reality, he took his friends and retreated to a quiet place to pray and prepare for what was about to come. While they were there, Mark says Moses and Elijah appeared. That symbolizes the fulfillment of the law and the prophets in the life of Christ. As they talked with Jesus, the story says, He was transfigured before them. His face was aglow with a presence beyond his own. His very being radiated something holy and hallowed. It showed in him and through him. The words Mark wrote are similar to those written about Moses when he descended from Mount Sinai. His face glowed with God's presence, but he knew it not. If we read those passages and take them to heart, sooner or later we have to ask ourselves, 
what do others see when they look at me, when they hear my words? What presence or power shows through when I know it not? In summers, I'm privileged to preach every Sunday at a lovely seasonal chapel called Blowing Rock Methodist Church. It's located in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina and only operates on Sundays from June through September. But each year, during just those four months, the church collects and distributes over $300,000 to assist the poor, the hungry, the homeless, the sick, and especially at-risk and vulnerable children who live in those mountains. A resident of the Blowing Rock community who was aware of the congregation's mission said to me, they see themselves as a part-time church, but we see them as a full-time expression of the love of God. What do others see when they look at us as churches? or as individuals. In a congregation I served years ago, I got to know a woman who literally emanated kindness. She had only made it through the eighth grade before going to work in a cotton mill. By the time she was 18, she was married. By the time she was 40, she was a widow with two children, both of whom she put through college. By the time I knew her, she was in her early 80s, long since retired from the mill, living in a small wood-framed house less than a mile from the church. She sang in the choir, taught children Sunday school, was active in study and service groups, and regularly baked cakes and cookies for friends and neighbors, and especially for anyone who, in her words, was going through a rough patch. People migrated to her little house. Those going through their rough patches of relational difficulties or professional challenges or illness, guilt, loneliness, grief, they found their way to her, far more, in fact, than they did to any of us clergy nearby. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't a trained counselor. She was just someone who cared deeply about people, and it showed. She listened patiently, and rather than jumping in with advice or stories of her own struggles, she would say gently, tell me more about that. Sometimes she laughed with folks, and sometimes she cried with them, and if they requested it, she prayed with them. She was consistently non-judgmental and just as consistently loving and encouraging. After her death, a friend of hers made the remark, to be in her presence was like bumping into Jesus. A humble person by nature, I'm sure she would never have seen herself in that fashion. She knew it not, but others knew. They knew just by being around her who she belonged to. Her very being radiated something holy and hallowed. It showed in and through her. In a very real sense, her life was transfigured. Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us.
Sometimes we miss the humorous parts of ourselves, or the tragic parts, or, I suppose, even the sacred and noble parts. At the close of Mark's story, when Jesus descended the mountain to heal a little boy with epilepsy, he didn't say, Peter, James, John, I want to show you how holy and loving I am. He just practiced holiness by sharing love. Much like that mountain congregation that shares its resources to help those who have no resources. Or like that woman I knew who cared so deeply about people who were going through a rough patch. In the end, a person's real nature always shows through. Reading this lesson from Mark confronts each of us with a question What do others see? when they look at me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if some of them answered, to be in your presence is like bumping in to Jesus. Let us pray. As your power and presence transfigured Christ, may his power transfigure us, O God, so that we may reveal his presence to others. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Dr. Michael B. Brown, church leader, popular speaker, and author, who currently serves as interim senior pastor of Mount Tabor United Methodist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For a free transcript of his sermon for Transfiguration Sunday, to see ourselves as others see us, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day 1 depends on the financial gifts of faithful listeners like you. Please send your donation to Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305, or donate online at dayone.org. We are always grateful for your help. And remember to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more. You can visit us online at dayone.org. This is Dalton Rushing. Next time on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Nontumbi Naomi Tutu, an acclaimed speaker, international activist, and Episcopal priest currently serving at All Saints Episcopal Church in Atlanta. Her powerful sermon is titled, The Call and Challenge of the Wilderness. Be sure to join us next week on Day One. Now our day one preacher, Michael Brown, shares some closing reflections on his sermon today, to see ourselves as others see us. And Michael, you helped us to see that often we don't see ourselves as others see us. Sometimes, as in Robert Burns' poem, To a Louse, we fail to see the humorous, even laughable parts of our lives. We can take ourselves too seriously, you said, but we can also fail to see the tragic aspects of our lives, such as the workaholic who lost his family before he realized what he was doing. Oh, with some power the gift gives us to see ourselves as others see us, as Bobby Burns put it. In Mark's account of Jesus' transfiguration, 
Peter, James, and John catch a glimpse of the real Jesus, his face aglow with God's presence, his very being radiating the holy. So I'm wondering, why do you think this transfiguration happened? What was Jesus up to with these disciples on top of the mount? Well, it was a retreat. He Mm -hmm. was about to go into Jerusalem for the last time. And often when we face things that are difficult and trying, even though they're the right things, uh, before we push forward, we pull back Mm -hmm. to strengthen ourselves spiritually. Time for prayer. Uh, Apparently, he did not mean it to be a time for total solitude. He needed the strength of friends Mm -hmm. with him. So he took this special circle. And then... Mark also underscores um, in his Christology that this is the Messiah that had been looking for Mm. throughout all the centuries by having Moses and Elijah, law, prophets, uh, that bless him, that show he is the convergence of Mm. all that had gone before. And for heaven's sakes, the voice of God (laughs) saying, this is the one. This is my child. Listen to Mm -hmm. him. Um, So Mark um, writes a passage that confirms the messianic nature of Jesus, but also reveals to us the human nature of Jesus, Mm -hmm. who's pulling back, uh, surrounded by friends, a time of quiet and prayer before he faces a cross. Mm. You asked us if we read this account and take it to heart, we have to ask ourselves, What do others see when they look at me, when they hear my words? What presence or power shows through when I know it not? And you shared stories about the ministry of Blowing Rock Church, which could be seen just as a part-time church, but in fact offers a full-time expression of God's love. And that woman whose life glowed with God's love, the holiness of God shining through her, how do we become a church like that? How do we become a person like that? How do we become transfigured? That is so incredibly difficult. Mm. You know, the word Christian literally means one who is like Christ. Mm. So I need to ask myself from time to time, am I living up to the name I wear? Mm. Do I do it honor or disservice? Um, I call myself, when I use that word, one who is like Christ. Mm. But is that what people see? Um, Christian such an easy word <laughs> to use to apply to ourselves or to others or even to judge others. But it should ask us, do they see Jesus when they see me? Hmm. And that, that was the whole intent uh, in the sermon itself. And that's the challenge to me personally. Hmm. Who do people see when they look at me? If I call myself a Christian, I know who it ought to be. Hmm. Michael, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? that they, like it or not, Mm. for better or worse, make a witness in the world. Mm. People do observe us, and sometimes they interpret what faith means simply um, by watching the lives of those who claim to be persons of faith. So I guess I'm asking all of us, uh, can we go beyond claiming to be persons of faith and Mm. actually be faithful? Well, Michael Brown, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. Forever.